0: Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and it, its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, will you avail our eyes to the true majesty and glory that, are, that surrounds your Son and His coming into this world? Will you preach powerfully through us that we may understand the true nature of the peace that you wish to give us through Christ Jesus? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Seated.
1: Well, happy holidays. Everybody have a good, good Thanksgiving day. Thanksgiving holiday. I hope hope you did. Uh, Truthfully, how many of you ate pumpkin pie for breakfast this morning? How many? Show of hands. Only me? Okay, fine. Uh, We're going to begin our Advent series today, and today's uh, theme is peace. Jesus Christ is the king of peace. In 2007, an organization called the Global Peace Initiative was launched to statistically study and rank the nations of the world Uh, in terms of their levels of peacefulness. Now, peacefulness, according to the Global Peace Initiative, was defined as the absence of violence or the fear of violence, or the absence of conflict uh, conflict between nation-states or a country's internal sense of safety and well-being. What they discovered since they began to take these surveys and study this is that between 2011 and 2020... Violent demonstrations, strikes, riots increased globally by 244 percent, and the U.S. to a large degree reflected that trend. The result of the most recent study in 2021 was that global peace deteriorated for the ninth year in a row. Respondents to surveys cited imposed COVID-19 restrictions, which none of us enjoyed, Anti-government sentiments due to the perception of a persistent corruption within government. I think you would all uh, agree that we've seen that on the news, right? Or maybe you felt that way. Forced and prolonged lockdowns, super uncool. There are still states that are still even going through some degree of lockdowns. Uh, increasing unemployment and early retirement has put a tremendous strain on businesses, Soaring oil and gas prices, how many of you paid $4 a gallon uh, in the last month? Yeah, something like that. And then increasing racial tensions. All of this fueled a sense of internal disunity and political division within the U.S. And so the world is desperately in need of an infusion of genuine peace. Where can you get it? Again, peace defined as the absence of hostility, conflict, or a sense of well-being, safety, and stability. But the Global Peace Initiative has missed it, at least half of it, because they started in the wrong place. All they can ever do is measure it. They can't do anything to solve it. Peace, as we said a couple of weeks ago, is not just the absence of hostility. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of harmony between the man and the woman and his God. It is when a human being comes back into right relationship and is realigned with the sovereign God of heaven. And it was no different. This sentiment was no different in Isaiah's day. Things don't change, do they? They don't. The prophet Isaiah's day, that was 700 years before the time of Jesus. And the nation of Israel had been split in two due to civil war. And so there was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had already fallen to Assyria. Assyria was a neighboring, bordering state that essentially came down and took over Israel. And the same thing now was threatening in Isaiah's time. It was threatened to happen again and the wicked evil idolatrous king ahaz was compromising with this confederation of northern states who were coming down there to take over judah and so it looked to isaiah like the fall of the kingdom was certain and the question on everyone's lips was where can we find peace where from where does it come when is god going to bring shalom his peace Other questions, where does God have the power to stop these forces? It doesn't look like he does. These forces of the world that are rolling over top of us, has he left us abandoned? And it is against that backdrop that Isaiah answers the question with a stunning answer, a stunning prophecy, a series of them. Isaiah 7.14 says, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means what? How do we think of that as the church? Jesus, right? The word Emmanuel means God has not left you. That's what it means. God has always been with you. You're his nation. He chose you. Emmanuel. God hasn't left you, and he's not going to leave you. And though it looks right now that he, like he has abandoned you, he has not. And look what this son will do. Isaiah 9, we read it this morning. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In other words, this is a human child. This is an heir of David. He will inherit David's throne. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, And his name shall be called Wonderful. That's a divine title. That's what the Jews referred to God as wonderful. And his name will be the Counselor. That's an administrative title. That means he has a plan, he has a design, he has a purpose. And his name will be called Mighty God. That's a warrior king title. If you read through the book of Isaiah, underline every time you you see God referred to as the Lord of hosts or the God of the armies or Mighty God, that's a warrior king title. So he's a warrior king, an everlasting father. That's a positional kingly title. Ancient Near Eastern kings were thought of to be the fathers of their nations. And prince of peace, he is Yahweh's son king. He is the son king that was prophesied in Psalm chapter 2 who would come and be anointed and he would stop the raging of the nations. And of the increase of his rule and the peace that he brings, there will be no end. How is that possible? And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will accomplish this. These titles are responses to their fears. These titles are responses to their problems. Which are these looming kingdoms which threaten to bring subjection and oppression and the destruction of the nation. And both Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, those prophets prophesy around on either side of what is called the exile. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, a hundred years after Isaiah mentions those prophecies, Nebuchadnezzar does come down, and he does destroy Judah, and he hauls the Jews off to Babylon. You can read that story in Daniel 1. And into exile they go, estranged now from their God, not a people. And later, as Daniel is in uh, Babylon, Babylonia, he has a vision He's studying the Bible. You can read this in Daniel chapter 9. He's studying Jeremiah. And he says, and I understood from the scroll of Jeremiah that we would be in exile for 70 years. And he's getting older. He's getting advanced in age. And he's thinking to himself, sweet. The time is almost up. And God is going to restore us to our land. An angel appears out of heaven and says, you have it wrong." You only have it partially right, actually. In 70 years, yes, the people are going to go back to their land, but it's going to take 70 times 7. It's going to be 490 years before the end of your spiritual exile. When the prince comes, the ruler comes and atones for sin and does away with sin once and for all. And now, in the first century... The people know. They can do the math. They know from Cyrus to that day, they are within the one window of time when the Messiah can come. And a zeal comes over this. And at the dawn of the first century, the people were waiting. Hundreds of years go by. And they are searching the Scriptures for who could be this Messiah. And just as in Isaiah's time, the people are fearful. They walk in darkness And there is rampant injustice, religious hypocrisy, spiritual negligence, moral and ethical insanity, and most of all, pervasive unrest, no peace. And the average Jew may greet you on the street and say, shalom, but the world tells him it is not so. There is no peace in Israel. And Israel is still a client state of foreign powers. Taxes are compulsory and very high. Jewish insurgents are led to droves to Roman crosses on the hillsides of Galilee by the tens of thousands. They have seen their countrymen crucified in revolution against their oppressors. They know better. There is no peace in Israel. And God has been silent for a long time. Synagogues are mere study houses seminaries of learning about the things God used to do and the things God used to say and the prophecies he used to give and all the things he's promised. Where is it? No, there is no peace in Israel. So God, in the first century, in 4 AD, figure that one out, sends Gabriel, a heavenly messenger, to a little farm town, a little agrarian village in Galilee called Nazareth, you know what Nazareth was known for? Wine country. That's where all the vineyards were. That's where they grew the wine. And so this prospect of peace now is suddenly born into the world. Luke simply says this in Luke 1, 26. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, you have found grace with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, which means Yahweh is my salvation, Jesus. Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the gospel. And the son of the most high God is born into a lowly family, into humble circumstances, and the peace he brings is the true panacea for what ails this world of increasing unrest. And just like the first century, just like 700 years prior to this sign today in the 21st century, there is great fear, rampant injustice, religious hypocrisy, spiritual negligence, moral and ethical madness, much political corruption, and a general sense of unrest. Where is their peace? Where can you get it? Let me tell you where you can't get it. Where you can't get it. Where you can't get peace is, first of all, from pleasure-seeking. You can't get peace if you spend the rest of your life seeking your own selfish pleasures. Now, listen. God has made everything in this world for our enjoyment. Do you believe that? The Scripture says this. God has given us all things for our pleasure, for our joy. When you go fishing, Troy, And you go sit on that river, and you're sitting there, you're having a good day, aren't you? Absolutely. You're enjoying the creation of God, something that God has given you. Everything has been given to you for your enjoyment. But listen, you were not designed, nor were you made, to just have one dopamine hit after another. You weren't designed for that. And so a life of hedonism, you know what hedonism is? It's just a life of pursuing pleasure, is a life that is ultimately just empty. It's just empty. It's like eating pumpkin pie all day. Yes, I could do it. And yes I want to. But I shouldn't. And you can't find peace in work either. Now, God made Adam and Eve to work. Work is not a curse. It's not a result of the fall. They were given a job description before they fell in Genesis chapter 3, right? They were given a dominion vocation go out there and rule in my stead. Go extend the Project of Eden into the rest of this arid world. Go responsibly develop the world. This is their vocation. And have lots of babies, male and female. Go out there and reproduce our kind. That was the mandate, that was their vocation. After they fell in Genesis chapter 3, what happens to work? The curse is, now you'll work by the toil and the sweat of your brow. The ground will not just automatically produce lush verdant fruit and and produce for you. No, you're going to have to work it. And it's going to remind you that the very ground under your feet is cursed. And so what happens to work? And there there are two extremes to avoid. One extreme is to just not work. And so a lot of people today have just chosen, hey, man, I'm getting my pandemic check. I'm not working. Listen, young folk, that's dumb. God made you to work six days a week and to rest on the seventh. He didn't make you to to rest seven days a week and work one day a week. The four-hour work week is dumb. And God didn't make you for that. God made you for labor. God made you for productivity. He, He wired you that way. So you need to go to work. The other side of that, though, spectrum is workaholism. Some of you have sacrificed your families and everything, your church and everything about your life, so that you can just spend all of your waking hours trying to hit the next ring, get the next ring, right? That's also not good for you. It's not good for you to be a workaholic. It's not good for you to be a lazy bum. So overachieving can't bring it. Pleasure-seeking, a life of hedonism and pleasure-seeking can't bring it. What about religion? Surely peace can be found in religion. Nope. It can't. Now listen, every person in this room, every person in the world has been crowned with a religious nature. So whether you're an atheist or a believer in some kind of God, you are going to express that side of your nature. And you will have a God. You will express the religious nature of the human soul. You will. You will worship something. Every atheist has a God, whether they believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether they believe it. They do. They have an idol. But you can't find peace in fastidious, meticulous religion. It's not going to cut it. You could contrive a checklist, and you could very dutifully show up and check check those boxes every single day, and still, without Christ, your life will be empty. Your life will be hollow. You can't find it in religion, and you can't find it in circumstances. Oh, man. I think this is where we mostly default. I know for me, I have peace so long as everything is good. So long as the coffers are full and the shelves are stocked, then I feel peaceful but you can't find it in changing conditions, conditions change. Have you discovered that yet? Of course you have. When Carrie and I uh, were going through her cancer diagnosis, I remember right after that, uh, we, we were just sort of waiting on, on the edge of our seat, like just waiting to know what the diagnosis was. Well, then we, it came back, it's breast cancer. And then it was a really bad, really bad news. It's HER2 positive. HER2 positive is a super aggressive uh killing form of breast cancer kill ya so that was bad news but then there was a lot of news we received along the way she took the BRCA gene test which is a, a genetic test to find out whether or not you're going to pass it on to your progeny uh and whether or not it's going to come back there's so a 90% of it, 90% chance of it coming back if you have that gene and it was negative for her we were like oh thank god so we just had a fleeting moment of peace And then they hit her with everything they had. Every kind of chemotherapy. I mean, the tough stuff, man. The stuff that will almost kill you. And it really didn't help. I mean, it stopped the tumor from growing. And so that was bad news for us. We were like, ah, it's not shrinking. And then we got some good news. Because after her surgery, they took it out. And what they do is they test the margins of it to see if it's going out into adjacent tissue and it wasn't. Good news. And and I'm telling you, it was just a roller coaster. It was just this, and our emotions. And then they took it out, and the doctor said, hey, go have a nice life. Go enjoy your life. Good news. (laughs) You know, it was just that kind of roller coaster. Let me tell you what Carrie and I learned through that process. Your peace, your internal sense of peace with God does not rest in your circumstances. It cannot. It just can't. Because your circumstances will jerk you around. They will, they will give you whiplash. Our peace has to be grounded in something else. It can't be in circumstances. So if you can't get peace from these things, from pleasure seeking, from workaholism or laziness, or from religion, or from circumstances, where can you get it? Number two, where we can find peace. Here it is. We get peace with God. That sounds like the Sunday school answer, doesn't it? Let me tell you, if you don't get it here, if you don't get it right here, you're not going to have peace anywhere else in your life. God is the wellspring of our peace. We can't have it apart from him. We can't. God himself is our peace. In Colossians 1:19 through 21. Man, just... In fact, I'm going to read you the whole passage. I've got one of the passages up here, but I just want to start in verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, He, Jesus Christ... "...is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which is a statement of His supremacy over creation. And for everything was created by Him, in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things." And by him, all things literally hold together. Every atom, every atomic particle in the universe is held together by Jesus. And all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, the first resurrected, so that he might come to have first place in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. How do you get peace? You get it from God. How do you get it from God? You get it from Jesus. You get it through Jesus, through the blood that was shed on his cross and your faith in that. So what do we learn in the garden narrative about sin? In the garden narrative, we learn that sin is a defiance of a decree. They were given a command, don't eat from those, that tree, bad tree. And they do eat it from it. They defy his sovereign command. In Genesis, it is rebellion. It is an open hand slap to the mouth of God's holiness and his honor. We learn from Isaiah chapter 1 that it is an insurgency within God's realm. It's a rebellion in God's sovereign realm. We discover that our sin is an assault on his holiness bringing disruption into his ordered creation. That's what Genesis 1 is about. You want to know what it's about? It's, it's not there to tell you the creation that the world was created in 24 literal uh, hours. That is in that text, but that's not why that is there. It's there to tell you the world has been ordered, and the sovereign God is the one who ordered it, and sin is disorder in his order. That's what it is. And so all the effects of sin have become devastating for us. The world we live in is cursed beneath our feet. Every drop of sweat that falls from our brow as we till it and responsibly develop it is a reminder that something, something is out of whack. Something is not right. The world looks like something that was created in beauty that has been horribly defaced. It looks like a Michelangelo, a Rembrandt that's been splotched with graffiti. It looks like the statue of David chiseled in perfection, now marred and defaced by vandals. And we have peace through the shed blood of God. We are out of peace, and Jesus Christ and his cross and the blood that was shed on that cross brings us back into peaceful relations with God. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. (laughs) You can't have peace any other way. But peace with God certainly has lasting effects. You also have peace through prayer and gratitude. The Christian can experiencing, experience ongoing peace through prayer and a life of just cultivating gratitude and thanksgiving. Look at what he says in Philippians 4, 6-7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. That's a command, by the way. Do not. Let your heart become anxious about anything that comes to your doorstep, but in everything by prayer and supplication, by going to God, by praying to God, by talking to God, by asking God for stuff, for his peace, for his counsel, for his grace, with thanksgiving, with a thankful heart. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Do you want your heart guarded And your mind's in Christ Jesus. What do we learn here? There's the possibility that you and I can experience an ongoing sense of deep internal peace. So you got to have peace with God. you got to have peace internally. Um, A few years back, I read a book that I did not want to read because it's not my kind of book. I, I know a lot of you who don't know me, especially those of you who are new, You probably look at a guy like me and think, I bet he reads a lot of thick, dense theological books. And you would be right. (laughs) That's what I spend almost all my time reading. I love that stuff. Eat it up like cake. Love it. But someone suggested a book to me called One Thousand Gifts by Ann Boskamp. Have you read this book? Yeah, go get it on Amazon. Read it. It'll change your life. It'll change your perspective on suffering. The book begins with her in this creative description of this... (laughs) unbelievable suffering and pain that that came into her life and the rest of the book is really teaching us how to cultivate a life of gratitude in the midst of horrific things horrific things that come into your life and so she just made a list of 1,000 things she's going to thank God for and I'm telling you it changed my perspective it changed my mind it gave me a theology of gratitude and it can change your heart. And this is how we live in the peace of God. We go to God in prayer, and we express thanksgiving for all that He has done, even in the midst of hard situations. God has called us to do that. So I began to keep a a, a gratitude journal. And in that journal, I don't quite have a thousand things, but I've got several hundred And now I don't write in it anymore. Sometimes I just go back. It's on my desk at home. And I just kind of flip through it. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's right. The Lord did do that. Oh, There's just something so incredibly encouraging about when you think about all that the Lord has done for you. All the blessings and grace that he has brought into your life. It cures us from crankiness. And when we have peace through Jesus Christ and his cross and the shed blood on that cross we can begin to experience an internal peace through prayer and thanksgiving, and thirdly, peace with others through Christ. This is usually where people start. People usually start here. That's where the Global Peace Initiative starts that I read at the beginning of this message. Statistically, they want to measure like how our nation's getting along and that's just a horizontal relationship. And for sure, you and I are called to fix our horizontal relationships, to go and be reconciled to one another. But listen, the believer can have peace with God, internal peace, and then peace externally. Horizontal relationships can be peaceful. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Who do you call a son of God? Who do you call a son of God? Nobody who lives to just have knockdown, drag out Facebook fights. Nobody is calling them children of God because they're not peacemakers. They're not peacemakers. They're the opposite. Ephesians 2, 14 says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace who has made both of us, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jew and Gentile. Two groups of people that hated each other, couldn't stand the sight of each other, literally couldn't be in the same room together, and Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility which kept us apart. Let me ask you, do you have a wall of hostility in your heart towards someone today? Because Jesus has come to break that wall of hostility down, to demolish it, so that you can have peace with people who don't look like you or think like you or talk like you but who love Jesus too. You can have peace in the world. Since 3600 B.C., there have been 8,000 recorded peace treaties among the nation. 8,000 since 3600 B.C., and only in that time span, 200 years of known peace. That's not a good track record. The world doesn't have the answers. Jesus does. Isaiah 52.7 says this, how beautiful, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of the herald, who proclaims peace, who brings good news or the glad tidings, who proclaims salvation, who, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the good news. Your God reigns. And if Christ reigns in your heart and he reigns over your life and he reigns in your relationship, you will be an agent of peace. Do you want to be that? Yeah, I hope you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we We are no longer slaves to the fear and the unrest and the lack of peace and the unforgiveness and the mercilessness that so permeates our culture today. We thank you so much that you have set us free from the captivity to that sin. And because we are the redeemed, we are reconciled to you. We have been made right with God. The world has been set right in our lives And because your Holy Spirit is a present transforming agent in our lives and you have poured uh, him out on us, God, we can experience internal radical peace deep within. And Lord, because you have done all this, we can have peace in our relationships with each other. You have made that possible. And if you're here this morning, listen, and you haven't Made peace with God. You do not know peace with God. Will you right now surrender your life and your heart? And just confess what's true about you God, I'm a sinner and my sin is is an assault on your holiness and God you did something about it. You sent your son to die on a cross for me and to shed his blood For my sins in my place. And Jesus proved it by resurrecting from the dead bodily out of that grave to defeat my sin, to defeat hell, to defeat the permanency of death. And I confess right now all of that is true. And if you are doing that in your heart, and if you confess that with your mouth, you are a child of God. And from this moment forward, you belong to Him, you're His. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer, you're already a Christian, but in your heart you just have pervasive unrest. You're worried about the Omicron variant. You're worried about riots. You're worried about how things are going to go. Is America going to be here a year from now? And you just have all this worry, all this unrest, and all this unpeace in your heart. Will you surrender that to the Lord right now? Will you, by prayer and supplication, bring it to God? And let the peace that transcends human understanding wash over you right now God we need your peace this morning we thank you that you came to bring it true peace true harmony with God true harmony with each other and we praise you in Jesus name Amen